Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. In 1982, the world was captivated by this story of a gentle alien who became stranded here on Earth and the young boy named Elliot who brought E.T. into his mom's suburban California home. In this movie, it's the children who see the innocence and the nonviolence of E.T. and they find a way to outwit the government to help E.T. go home. Now, E.T. is a unique film among Hollywood's space alien stories. Until E.T. and the artistry of Steven Spielberg, all Hollywood aliens were frightening and mean and terrible looking. They were here to do us harm. And sometimes they were here to do us in. But whether evil or innocent, we're left with the same question. Could there really be intelligent life in a galaxy far, far away? Now, some believe there's little question that they're out there somewhere. After all, the universe is a pretty big place. Others believe that extraterrestrial intelligent life just isn't out there anywhere. But whatever the case, one thing is true. The truth is out there. And before we get started, a special thank you goes out to our partners in the podcast because they make this podcast possible. All right, let's get started, but let me tell you first a little bit about myself. I'm the kind of person who, if you came to me and said, hey, Kim, I saw a whole bunch of UFOs last night, who am I to say that you're crazy? Because human beings have reported seeing unexplainable and very mysterious flying objects for thousands of years. In fact, Alexander the Great reported seeing a pair of UFOs in 329 BC. He described them as two great silver shields spitting fire. All this happened as his army was trying to cross a river on their way to conquering the known world. The entire army was so shaken with fear, they abandoned the river crossing and they fled. But long before that, the Bible records a very intriguing story of Ezekiel's wheel. Ezekiel lived 3,000 years ago. He's recognized as a prophet by Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter one, verses four through 28, you'll find the full account of storm clouds gathering from the north, filled with lightning and brightly colored lights. And he claims to be an eyewitness to what appears to many as an actual UFO landing. Now you may be thinking to yourself, come on, Kim, that was in ancient times, long before the birth of Christ. In those days, most believed the earth was flat. Pharaoh still ruled Egypt, Donkeys were a main source of power. All that stuff about UFOs was probably a bunch of hogwash, right? Maybe, maybe not. It is on the 
Larry Chow is an astronaut, the commander of Expedition 10 aboard the International Space Station. In 2005, while on a spacewalk, he sees something out of the corner of his eye. We were kind of coming into that part of the orbit where we were between, we we're kind of in that twilight zone between darkness and lightness. And during that period, just for a few seconds, you kind of can't really tell where you are. Everything's kind of this fuzzy, you know, uh, twilight. And so I didn't know if I was looking at the Earth, looking in deep space or what. And I saw what looked like four or five lights kind of in a, in a line with a, uh, with one offset and kind of a small V or check mark, uh, seemed to fly by. And I and I said to my partner Saljan in Russian, I asked him if he he saw those lights fly by, and he he was looking the other way, so he didn't see it. And then suddenly we went into daylight, and everything you know was gone, and all brightly lit. Talk about close encounters. Larry's not only an astronaut; he's a scientist. Larry's an engineer with the analytical mind of both. He's an honest guy who obviously has all the right stuff. Some people thought what he saw was a UFO. We'll hear much more from Commander Chow in a few minutes about what he really witnessed. But first, do you remember this 1997 film? That's a scene from Contact. It was based on the book by planetary astronomer Carl Sagan. Contact is about a young astronomer who's looking for evidence of ETs, and she finds it, a radio signal from outer space. Science fiction? Well, not at all. Every day, real scientists are trying to detect radio signals from space. My name is Seth Shostak, and I'm senior astronomer at the SETI Institute here in the Silicon Valley of California. Seth's job is kind of cool. He leads a group of scientists in the search for intelligent life on other planets. Well, when you're talking about intelligent life, all you're really saying is it's life that's clever enough to, you know, make signals we could pick up. Might be some sort of biological intelligence like we are, like Homo sapiens. And that would probably require a planet that's, you know, somewhat similar to the Earth with liquid oceans and atmospheres and stuff like that. But on the other hand, it could also be that uh, intelligence elsewhere has moved beyond biology to synthetic intelligence. And so uh, it may be that what's behind the microphone is uh, another machine. Okay, come on back down to Earth. Seth is not talking about Martians. He assures us there are no such things. Rather, he's talking about real science, pure science, and the numbers behind that science. Now listen carefully and keep an open mind. Scientists have actually discovered more than 400 billion stars in the universe, and they know that there are many, many more. Consider now that each one of those stars is a sun, and each sun has its own orbiting planets. That means there are upwards of one trillion planets within our own galaxy, and there are one to two billion galaxies in the entire universe, maybe more. If only one in a million of those planets meets the requirements for your gusto-grabbing free-living lifestyle, that's still a million worlds just in our galaxy. So, you know, the numbers look good because they're large. Let's use this as a basis for Seth's argument. By pure numbers alone, the chances of finding another planet enough like our own Earth with the right kind of atmosphere to sustain life with water, with oxygen, and everything else that we need to live. As it turns out, those odds are actually pretty good. And if Earth has a doppelganger in another solar system, 
that means there's probably intelligent life on that planet too. Now, how do we go about finding them? Perhaps radio waves are our best bet. Radio was invented before lasers were invented. It's, just, it's historical. But there are other good reasons for using radio. Radio waves go right through the gas and dust that uh, hang between the stars, so you know they're not blocked uh, en route. That's a good thing. Uh, radio waves are also a good way to send information to people where are people or things or whatever, whatever you're sending the information to, whatever your target is, uh, where you don't necessarily know exactly where they are because you can do a, a, a kind of broadcasting with radio that's very hard to do with other uh, modes. So you can say, look, I'm, I'm going to just target anybody who's in this part of the galaxy. Well, with radio, that, that that's possible. It's also true that radio waves are very uh, inexpensive to produce in terms of the energy required. So that's what we did. Back in the mid-1950s, we started searching for the tiniest of radio signals outside our own solar system. On the taxpayer's dime, engineers and scientists got together and built a massive radio antenna in Green Bank, West Virginia. This huge geographical area is now known as the nation's quiet zone. Cell phones and Wi-Fi, even television remotes, are illegal. You can learn more about life in the quiet zone in another one of my Commando On Demand podcasts. But first, let's get back to the technology used to search for intelligent life. The modern search started about 60 years ago, and it's never stopped. There, there are hundreds of billions of star systems in our galaxy. If you can't find any intelligent life in that, you know, it's, it's like saying, I can't get a good lunch in North America, so I'm going to look at some other continent. The way it works is really quite simple. We have these antennas, the big antennas uh, often, or there are collections of small antennas that amount to a big antenna. We point them in the direction of nearby star systems where we think, okay, there might be some planets around that star. And then we look over as much of the radio dial as we can for signals that are at one spot on that dial. In other words, what are called narrowband signals. Those are the kinds of signals transmitters make. Uh, natural radio emitters don't. So if we find a narrowband signal that's coming from the direction of a star system, we say, well, you know, I have no idea what they're saying or if they're saying anything, but they've got a transmitter. And that's, that's the first thing we look for. Think of it like this. Scientists have a massive antenna hooked up to a radio receiver. They point the antenna at one of the millions of stars in the universe, then slowly tune the radio from one end of the radio's frequency range to the other. They're closely listening for the tiniest of sounds. We're talking about bleeps and hums and clicks, anything that might be considered a radio signal. Then they move on to the next star, and then the next, and then the next, and the next, and on and on. And after 60 years, nothing. Coming up next in this Commando On Demand podcast, Kim talks more to Seth about why he believes that if there is intelligent life in the universe, that we'll be discovering it within the next 20 to 30 years. Despite the decades of quiet, scientists are determined they say finding intelligent life outside the Milky Way is like finding a needle in the haystack the size of North America. Radio is uh, a technological development that any society that learns enough about you know, physics is going to develop. It's one of the better ways to communicate. In fact, as far as we know, using electromagnetic radiation is probably the best way to communicate. So that means radio and light waves. Uh, there undoubtedly are intelligent creatures out there, for example, that that have never developed that, but those aren't the ones we're gonna hear from. 
So it's like saying, oh, but what about the Neanderthal Klingons? There may be Neanderthal Klingons, but they're not building a transmitter that we can pick up. There are only a handful of these massive space antennas around the globe. We talked about the one in Green Bank. There's also another in Australia, Puerto Rico, and then there's the Allen Telescope Array, not far from San Francisco. It's named after the guy who paid for it, Paul Allen. You know him, the co-founder of Microsoft. He's got a lot of money. All of these antennas are connected to very sensitive receivers. They're searching on the electromagnetic radio wave spectrum for signals, the same kind we transmit every day with AM, FM radios, microwave ovens, radar systems, LED light bulbs, cell phones, and even X-ray machines. Now that got me to thinking, if we're searching for intelligent life in another solar system, does that mean that they could be actually searching for us too? And if so, why don't we make it easy for them and use these massive antennas as transmitters as well as receivers? Broadcasting is controversial for some people because they think it's a dangerous thing to do. I, I, I think that, that that's a kind of funny argument. I don't buy into it myself, but there are people who do. Uh, but in any case, we're not doing any of that. Uh, we're leaving all the broadcasting to the major networks or, or to the radar sets at the local airport. Some scientists fear that broadcasting may bring us right back to those 1950s Hollywood alien movies, the kind who want to kill us all and colonize Earth. To be politically correct, we'll call them an aggressive civilization. But what are we trying to keep secret? I mean, come on. If there is intelligent life out there, and if they're actively searching for us... Wouldn't all of our cell phones, radar transmissions, and nuclear tests over the years have already given us away? We've only been making our presence known since the Second World War by, you know, uh, constructing transmitters to broadcast FM radio, television, radar. Radar is very visible. Uh, so if they're close enough, if they're within 70 light years, say, then they could pick up those signals, some of those early signals, and then they would know we're here. If they're farther away, and 70 light years is not very far in, in astronomy, if they're farther away than that, then I think it's extraordinarily unlikely that they would know that we're here. So let's do a little math. How far away could intelligent life be? A light year is the distance that light travels in a year. That's about six trillion miles. It's a six followed by 12 zeros. That's why we use shorthand and call it a light year. Now, the closest solar system to us is four to 10 light years away. That means using the fastest rockets NASA can currently build, it would take about 100,000 years to get there. Despite the distance, Seth has a bold prediction and pencil this into your calendar. He believes that if there is intelligent life outside of our own solar system, then we will contact them within 20 years, 2036. That is largely based on what's called Moore's Law here in the Silicon Valley. It just and notes the exponentially increasing speed of our computers, fundamentally. And since computers are such a big part of this experiment, by increasing the speed of computers, you increase the speed of the search. So if you kind of consider that and say, well, you know, how many star systems can you look at in, in 20 years time? The answer is maybe a few million, maybe. And a few million strikes me as the right number to book success. I might be wrong, but that's my impression. Imagine it, within 20 years, we'll know if there's intelligent life outside the Milky Way. But we won't be able to communicate with them, sending them messages back and forth. If they are 10 light years away, it will take 10 years to get a signal from here to there, and then another 10 years to get a response, if they were to respond right away. And traveling there, just forget it. So scientists came up with some pretty efficient ways of exploring our neighbors once we do find them. 
There are two options. Number one, send a probe about the size of a half a dollar. That would take about 100 years. Option two, build a very large telescope in space so you can study these new worlds without the need to travel at all. Either way, excitement's really building because the smart money is not if we find intelligent life, it's when. This is the first time in the history of humans where we could actually hope to prove that there's somebody else out there. I mean, everybody's thought about it. I'm sure the cavemen thought about it, but they, they couldn't do any experiments. And we can, we can, there's no money for it. That's a real problem. Uh, that's what greatly limits the, the amount of effort that can be uh, expended. But on the other hand, uh, this could very well be the generation that finds the signal and thereby proves that what's happened here on Earth, as nifty as it is, is not, you know, the only place where it's happened. We're not the only kid on the block. If we're not the only kids on the block, maybe someone out there has discovered a way to defy physics, as we currently understand it, and travel faster than the speed of light. Maybe those lights Commander Larry Chow noticed out of the corner of his eyes were really transport vehicles engineered by intelligent beings from another planet. Could it be possible? At the time, uh, you know, I, I thought it was some kind of a military satellite constellation. I didn't know what it was exactly. I never really thought it was like, uh, you know, uh, aliens or anything like that. Uh, but what was interesting is because, you know, our, our calls are all in the clear. So people uh, heard me say that, uh, and since you know they got on the internet, and next thing you know, it's reported that I saw you know UFOs flying around, uh, and then at the you know almost as quickly, of course, they know exactly what time I made with transmission. Um, they could figure out exactly where the station was, and it turns out we were off the coast of South America, and there had been a line of fishing boats there, uh, using very bright lamps to attract squid. They were they were fishing for squid, and so uh, that's what I saw, and it was the rotation of the Earth that made them appear to fly by so that was uh, that was kind of interesting it's pretty exciting to think about and in the meantime in the words of the buddha there are only two mistakes one can make along the road to truth not going all the way and not starting hey thanks for listening i'm kim commando just want to remind you that if you like this podcast there's much more where they came from over at commando.com slash podcast and you can also tune into my weekly radio show on over 400 stations from coast to coast and around the world on Armed Forces Radio. To find the station nearest you, head over to commando.com slash radio. That's commando.com slash radio.